Welcome to another, well, I'll call it world-changing episode of Disclosure, the flagship program from the Voice of Prophecy Radio Network. My name is Sean Boonstra, and honestly, most of the world is utterly shocked and surprised that I even have a radio show at all, especially the people I went to college with, because I have always been something of a radical introvert, and uh, frankly, public speaking terrifies me, scares me to death. I lay awake all night knowing I'm going to be speaking to people in the morning. In fact, actually, years ago, during communication classes at the University of Victoria, and I won't tell you how many decades ago that was, but in communication classes, if I had to stand up and make a three-minute speech, I would turn beet red, I would stutter, I would stammer, and quietly sit down in two minutes and 50 seconds in sorrowful resignation to the C-plus I knew that I was going to get for that speech. Now, what's really funny about that is that back in those days, really before I ever even became a Christian, I was something of a political activist, and my life's dream was to run for public office. Now, how in the world I thought I was going to run for office without getting up and making a speech— I have no idea. Now, I'm thankful every day that I didn't go into politics, because if you happen to live here in America, you know that that has got to be the most thankless calling in the entire world. I'm glad God spared me from that. Uh, But yet here I am, speaking for a living. And I think the reason I can do it here in the studio is because I'm looking at a microphone, and I'm looking at a couple of weird-looking guys sitting in the control booth uh, who keep me entertained. But other than that, I can't see your faces, so I don't know if you could be frowning for all I know, and I can't see it. You could be smiling. I don't know. I'm just speaking to a microphone, and that makes life's better. Um, You know what the funny thing is? Even though I really struggled to get up in front of a room and make a formal speech, I still somehow, especially in my early years of schooling, got in a lot of trouble for talking in class. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, But somehow I would sit at the back, I would pipe up, I would be the smart aleck in the back. I know, I know you don't believe it, but I was the class smart aleck. But somehow that's not public speaking, right? That's not, all I was doing is correcting the teacher because obviously she had no idea what she was talking about and needed an eight-year-old boy to set her straight. Now, that's all beside the point. That's not really what we're going to do today. We're going to not talk about my phobias. We need to get to our guest for today. I'm really excited about this. Today's guest is somebody who has no problem getting up in front of a crowd, and honestly, he's one of the best. Mike Tucker is host of the nationally acclaimed television program Faith for Today, so I know you've seen him on the TBN network and other networks. He's also the host of Mad About Marriage, a first-class marriage seminar and workshop that he's taken all over the world. He's on the road right now calling into the show. And Mike is also part of the Voice of Prophecy family. He spent a number of years here with the Voice of Prophecy, actually slumming with the likes of us. Uh, Mike, are you there on the phone? I'm here, and I'm honored to be there. The Voice of Prophecy was very instrumental in my growth in Christ, and I've always felt uh, a warm sense of of love toward that organization and its founder, HMS Richards. And so I'm honored to be a part of, of uh, this, this broadcast. Well, and uh, as you mentioned, Faith yeah. for Today, our, our flagship show is actually called Lifestyle Magazine. I, it's an interview I, show. And, see, uh, I knew I'd, I'd blow, blow something. I knew I'd blow why. something, Mike. I've got to get that information out there. Yeah, Lifestyle <laughs> Magazine. Yeah, and, and it is a phenomenal program. People can watch that on TBN. And You are slumming, though, because the days when you had an affiliation with the Voice of Prophecy, it wasn't me sitting in this chair. It was people of fine caliber. <laughs> and, 
Oh, you you are way too modest. Well, too mo- and and I'm unlike you in one sense. You are the introvert. I enter a room mouth first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I I uh, I'm, I embarrass myself and others quite often because of of. Uh, how ready I am to talk, even when I have nothing to say. So <laughs> I'm um, the, the opposite, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, for, for me, if it wasn't a smart aleck comment, I didn't say anything. And I know you would even have trouble believing I was the class smart aleck, wouldn't you? No, wouldn't I, I you, have Mike? no would... problem believing Oh, that come on, all. Mike. All right, I, that's the end of our show for this week. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm just tidying up my papers. Actually, there's a very special reason I've asked you here, Mike, and we're, we've been friends for a number of years, and I've always enjoyed your company. Um and yet there's something that you've gone through in recent years that would shatter most people, and I wanted to invite you to talk about it. Uh, you worked with your wife, Gail, closely on the show and in the marriage seminar for years, and then suddenly, not too far back, you know, some time ago, you suddenly lost Gail uh, and found yourself wrestling with the emotions and issues that surround a devastating loss. And that's really what I wanted to talk to you about, and I'm glad that you're willing to come on and discuss this a little bit. You've got a brand new book coming out sharing your story, don't you? Yes, I do. Uh, the book talks about my journey through grief and hopefully will serve as uh, an aid to other people going through the same journey. Uh, it's supposed to be released early uh, next year um, in uh, 2018, okay. and it's uh, from, from Tears to Joy is the name of the book, One Man's Journey Through Grief. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that that will be out uh, early next year. Great. And um, and that's not too far. What we'll do is we'll put a link to that book in the show notes so that people can find a copy of it. From Tears to Joy, I happen to have been among the privileged few. I got a sort of a sneak peek at an early manuscript. Yeah. And I was so moved by it that I wanted to invite you on the air to talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, you've, you've actually talked about grief for years. You've taught yeah. workshops. You've counseled people. And then it was no longer theoretical. It was you. It happened to you. Tell us a little bit about what you went through. Well, Gail and I have been married for 40 years. And uh, for the, the vast majority of, of that time, we, we were in ministry together. We were best friends and constant companions. We did television together. We did ministry together. We pastored churches, you name it. We had done marriage seminars all over the world together. Um, when suddenly she took ill. She was in vibrant health right up until she wasn't. And it was March uh, 6th of 2016 when we hospitalized her because her right hand went numb. First diagnosis was um, was um, of strokes, and then they found the cause of the strokes, which was stage 4 pancreatic cancer, which had also spread to her, her liver. And wow. uh, she died. Uh, she was diagnosed on March 16 and died April 10. Uh, that same year, so it was a very short journey from uh, from uh, vibrant health to hospitalization to diagnosis to to death. Wow, just a handful of weeks. You were actually on the road when you made the discovery. Yeah, we were in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, doing a marriage seminar, Mad About Marriage seminar there, when her right hand quit working, and I wanted to take to her to a hospital. Then she said, "Wait till we get back to the states." And so that was a. Uh, a Friday when that happened, and Sunday we landed back in the states, and I took her. I didn't take her home. I took her directly to the hospital, and that's when we started the journey, uh, discovering what her disease was. And after 40 years of marriage and friendship, uh, to to get that diagnosis from a doctor is just. I can't tell you what that experience is like. There there are no words to describe it. And then uh, to be by her bedside uh, just uh, a short time later when she passed away was just the most devastating experience of my life. 
I can't even begin to imagine. You know, I have those chats with my wife all the time, Mike. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do if I, you know, if this happens? And I had a scare yeah. a few years ago, and we we had to think about those questions. I can't imagine it. All I can do is imagine it. That's all I can do is imagine. And I don't think I'd be ready. I don't think imagining gets you ready for this. It doesn't get you ready. And I hope that you never have to go through it. Uh, I, I suppose that, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that we're going to lose a spouse. And uh, I just really thought that that would be when I was in my 90s uh, instead of when as my wife was 60 years old when she died. We were married when she was 20. And so I, I really thought that it was way too early, as healthy as she was. So I hope that you never have to, to experience this, Sean, and that our, our, our listeners don't have to, to experience it either. But many of them, unfortunately, have already gone through something like this, uh, just as I have. And so they understand just how devastating this, this actually is. Well, I think what I want to do, there would never be enough time in this show for me to ask everything I want to ask. And I am really deeply appreciative that you're willing to come out and talk about something that's so intimate and so close and so painful. Um, But let's talk a little bit about grief. You didn't have a lot of warning. It happened suddenly. And then you're hit with grief. What is grief? I mean, people mention it, but what is it? You've been through it now. What is it? Why do we grieve? Grief is a psychological, emotional, spiritual, and physical reaction to any experience of loss. And it affects every aspect of your being. It, it results in uh, sad, if only thinking. It results in tears, uh, depressive episodes, loss of sleep, loss of appetite, or sleeping constantly and eating everything in sight. Uh, it disturbs every aspect of your life. It gives you with a sense of hopelessness, uh, lostness, aloneness, uh, like uh, you've, you've just uh, a part of you has died. Uh, it is the most devastating experience you can go through. What is it, you know, in, in your experience, because you actually taught this before you had to experience yeah. it, um, what is grief doing? What, what is your body, what is your mind, what is your heart doing when you grieve? Grief is, I, I think, is a gift from God now that I look at it. It, it is a transition from point A to point B. Point A is the point of loss. And point B would be a point that we would call reorganization. I'm not, I'm not going to call it recovery, because in some sense you never recover from this. You will grieve to, to some degree the rest of your life. But you can reorganize your life and find joy again. And grief is the vehicle that takes you from point A to point B. It, it's an old beat-up Ford that's got 400,000 miles on it and needs a, uh, a ring job. And it, it goes uh, 35 miles an hour at the fastest downhill. It, it's a terrible vehicle to be in. <laughs> I, think you, I makes, think you've seen my car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes frequent stops. It's a terrible vehicle, but it's the only one we've got. And it's, it's what helps you transition, saying goodbye to that which was uh, and adjusting yourself to that new experience of your life, that which is now. It is the vehicle that takes you from point A to point B. You know, I think one of the things I appreciate about the book, or at least the manuscript that I I laid my eyes on, is that it wasn't entirely prescriptive about grief. And I think there's Mm -hmm. a tendency when, you know, if I go buy a self-help book down at Barnes & Noble, that I read a book about something like grief, and I think, okay, that's exactly what it's like. Um, But it's not right, is it, to think that grief's going to be the same for everybody? No, grief varies because of the loss, but and also the relationship you had with the individual you've lost. It varies because of your personality, your personal resources, and your own experiences in life. So there are a lot of things that affect the way you grieve, the intensity of your grief, the length of your grief, uh, and the exp- the symptoms that you have, and their severity. And so it's it's very different for every person. My daughters are grieving the same uh, person, right. but they're grieving a mother rather than um, a wife. 
and they're grieving someone because of their own personal experiences with loss and their own personalities, their own resources. So their grief is different than mine. Uh, it, it varies from person to person. Even someone who has lost a spouse of 40 years cannot tell me, I know exactly how you feel. You, you may have some idea, but you don't know exactly, nor do I know exactly how you feel if you've lost a, a spouse as well. There'll be some similarities, but, uh, but every experience is different. Well, I didn't lose a spouse, obviously. I, I haven't been through that. I lost my best friend years ago. He, he yeah. died horribly in a, train, you know, in a car wreck, burned to death. And I noticed Gene and I both knew him, and we reacted completely differently to. I mean, we both yeah. grieved losing the guy, but it was a different right. experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I see that waving. They're waving at me in the control booth. You can imagine I'm not the easiest radio host to no. deal with. No, and things like clocks and time. What are those? Here's what I yeah. want to come back to after the break. We do have to take a quick break, Mike. But what I want to talk about is a statement that you make in the book that it's best to grieve intensely and early, and that kind of took me by surprise. Um, So what I want to do, we'll take a little break. We're going to give people a little offer from the Voice of Prophecy. I think you're going to want to grab a pen and paper and write this down because deals like this don't come along every day. This is a chance to get to know your Bible intimately, and it's absolutely free from the good people at the Voice of Prophecy, the Discover Bible School. So what we're going to do is take a quick break, and then I'll be back with Mike Tucker, the host of Lifestyle Magazine, who is talking about the experience he's had in losing his wife of 40 years. We're going to talk about grief and uh, and why maybe grieving early and intensely might be a gift. So I'll be right back after these messages. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Here we are back from the break. You heard the offer of the Discover Bible School, and I'm glad that wasn't me narrating that commercial. They do have a version of that um, where I'm narrating the commercial, and I sound exactly like Mr. Haney from Green Acres because my voice cracks like a 13-year-old every 10 seconds. Hello, folks! And so I'm really glad that it wasn't me. But that Bible course, you want to get your hands on it. My name is Sean Boonstra. You're listening to Disclosure, a new program from the Voice of Prophecy Radio Network. My guest today, Mike Tucker, the host of Lifestyle Magazine and Mad About Marriage. He's talking about losing his wife of 40 years, an experience that he has just come through. He's got a new book coming out called From Tears to Joy. Mike, in that book, you mentioned that it is best to grieve intensely and early. And that's a statement that made me sit up in my seat and take note. Unpack that for me a little bit. 
The research shows that the longer you put grief off, the longer it takes and the harder it gets, and that intense early grief is always the best. Well, I had taught that for years, and uh, then when it happened to me, I realized why you have to repeat that over and over again, because your natural inclination then is to run from anything that might cause you more pain. This, this loss is already so painful. Why would I want to hurt more? So I knew that the research showed that if I did hurt more and if I did the grieving early, it would be better for me. So I practiced something I called leaning into the pain. I would anticipate things that would bring me pain, and I would schedule them earlier than I needed to in order to wow. uh, to lean into that pain. Now, from you mentioned public speaking, and that's something that you and I both do a lot of. I went back and did some public speaking then, uh, scarcely two months after Gail died. Wow. And that was that was a tough thing for me. I did my first Mad About Marriage seminar. She died in April. I did it in in August by myself without her. Oh and that man! Was, that was seminar number one twenty two. The first one I'd done without her. We'd done one hundred and twenty one of that particular seminar together. And so uh, I found those things that I that I could do that would uh, initiate contact with the pain. We used to love to uh, to save up frequent flyer miles, which we collected rather quickly, and hotel points, right? And and take a vacation every now and then. We'd go to New York City, and there are things that we enjoyed doing in New York together as a couple. So I went back to New York City again about two and a half months after her death uh, to reclaim the city as my own. Uh, and I cried through the entire event, but afterwards I knew I could go back again. I knew it was mine then. Uh, I, we used to take cruises together. I took a cruise by myself. And again, that was um, a painful experience. I paid money so I could cry on board a ship. Wow. But I know I can do it uh, because I've done another one since then that was not nearly as painful. I, I anticipated the things that would bring me pain, and I leaned into them. Now, there's some things that you may you may say, all right, that one's too hard. I'm not going to do that until I have to. But as many of those as, as you can initiate, um, uh, it's better if you can do that. Always give yourself an out so that if you start this and you realize this is harder than I thought, I can't do this, that you can make a, a, a graceful escape. But um, I, I believe – I'm a believer in leaning into the pain, grieving intensely, early. Uh, that gives, us, gives your body the opportunity then to make a quicker transition and a quicker uh, relationship to the new you and to the new experience of being, which is now without the person you've, you've loved so long. So if I'm hearing you right then, um, that pain's coming one way or the other, and it seems to be better to deal with it fast. You know, I, I don't like being bullied, and I don't like being uh, out of control. And so this gave me at least an illusion of, of hitting the bully back and of being in some measure of control. And it may have only been an illusion, but it's all that I needed. Uh, it's, it was an, an illusion which I enjoyed, uh, to, uh, if you can enjoy this, this whole experience. But I felt that it was better for me to initiate contact with the pain early. Uh, to force myself into those things because it, it, I did it on my terms then rather than on grief's terms. I did it on my, on my timetable rather than grief's timetable. And it gave me an opportunity then to, to have some measure of control of when I did those things. No, it kind of reminds me. I don't know why it's reminding me of it, but it reminds me of people who grew up with like maybe an abusive parent and yeah. never deal with it. But the day they go and see their parent and, and yeah. took that initiative and sat down and faced the pain, it was over sooner and the pain became yeah. – it was sized back down to its appropriate size. Exactly. The longer you stay away from it, the bigger it seems. 
the legend grows. It's like people with an addiction. The family keeps the secret. The secret makes it stronger than it really is. And you never face it. You hide it from other people. And then it gets bigger and bigger. The, the power is in the secret. The power is also in the fear that you experience rather than the, the actual contact itself. So going back and facing down the bully or leaning into the pain, as painful as that is, Afterward, you realize I had some measure of control over this. It hurt like crazy, but I feel better for having done it, and I know I can I can handle the next challenge as well. You you talk about the work of grief. You're not only leaning into mm-hmm. it, but there is a I, I don't know how I would describe this, but there's a to do list with grief, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There are four activities that we encourage people to engage in in grief: and that's think, talk, write, and cry. Uh, Think the thoughts fully when they come, even the painful ones, but also think the joyous thoughts, the great memories. Just think. Allow yourself the opportunity to do that. Talk means to tell the stories over and over again to anyone who will listen. Tell the the happy stories, the sad stories, but talk. And also talk about what you feel, what you're feeling now, what you felt then. Um, So talk about it. Write. Keep a diary or journal, a notebook, uh, and just write about your experiences. For me, it was a blog. I I would uh, make blog entries, post them on Facebook so people could see uh, my thoughts. Uh, Most of them were posted there. Some were just private and mine. But uh, most of them I posted there, and and the interaction from people I thought was very helpful. And then cry. Allow yourself the opportunity to cry. And some people say, well, I'd like to cry, but I can't. Well, as long as you give yourself permission to cry and to feel the sadness, that's the thing that mattered. I cried. I found that I'm a loud, messy crier. I make noises I never thought I could make. It came out of me. I thought, who was that? And then I realized it was me. Um, And so those are the four activities. And truthfully, if you will engage in those four activities freely and readily and regularly, chances are you'll grieve appropriately. A lot of guys aren't comfortable with the topic of crying, Mike. I, uh, I don't cry, except, you know, at that episode of Little House on the Prairie when the well, room was really, really dusty. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but crying is, crying is a physiological way to deal with stress, isn't it? It, it is. It's a stress release. And certain cultures are less comfortable with this than are others. Uh, you and I are both white Anglo-Saxon uh, men, uh, and, and we live in Western society, and our culture does not give us permission to cry in public. There are other cultures that do this far more readily, and truthfully, they're better equipped to handle the pains of grief. So I defied my own culture, and I cried. Um, I felt like it was healthier for me. It was safer for me. It was the right thing to do. The tears are there for a purpose. And some people say, well, I'm afraid if I start, I'll never stop. Well, you will stop, and no one's ever been recorded as dying of crying. And it is your, your psyche needs a release of this pain. And crying is, is, it is actually cleansing. It's helpful. I think we find a lot of it in Scripture. I mean, David talks about crying in the Psalms as much as any other. Um, yes. He talks yes. about his pillow being wet with his tears. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, you, you not only describe the work of grief in these four activities, think, talk, write, and cry, you also describe four mile markers in the grieving process, and you've already alluded to this, but if you skip one of these markers, you say, these these waypoints mm-hmm. in the journey, you're going to pay for it later. What were those four mile markers? Well, the first thing is to believe that it really happened. You, you can't grieve a loss you don't accept as being real and permanent and yours. So you, you, you have to believe that it really happened. The second thing is to be willing to experience the pain. Uh, don't run from it. Don't try to out-medicate it. Don't hide from it. Don't stuff it. Don't ignore it. 
because the longer you ignore it, the more it's going to hurt later. It will catch you. Grief is, is ugly that way. It will not be denied. So be willing to experience the pain. And then you make adjustments to daily life without that individual in your life. That's the third goal, at the third mile marker. As you're starting to make those adjustments, and it's, it's something as simple as learning to sleep alone in my case, wow. uh, learning to cook for yourself, you know, uh, how do you clean the house now that it's just one of you doing it? Um, uh, what, do you, what about Christmas and Thanksgiving and all those things? Those are adjustments that you make, bill paying, uh, income adjustments. All of those things are th- adjustments that you have to make to daily life without that, that individual. And finally, when those, those three things are pretty well accomplished, then you're about ready for the, the last one. And the last one is the hardest, and yet it's, it's very important. And that is to say goodbye to the relationship as, as it existed, withdraw the emotional energy invested in that, re, that relationship, and reinvest it elsewhere. That doesn't necessarily mean remarriage or uh, a new love, but it does mean reinvesting your energies, your emotional energies elsewhere. I guess you're admitting, aren't you? When you get married, it's till death do us part. Yes. And there comes a point where you have to give yourself permission, I suppose, to leave the relationship because it's over. It is over. The the relationship has changed whether you wanted it to or not. Right. Uh, because it used to be right here, right now. We embraced, we talked, we slept together, we we did life together, we did all those things that a married couple does. Now I'm by myself. The relationship has changed. And so I have to acknowledge that change, say goodbye to it as it was, withdraw all the emotional energy that it was invested in that, and reinvest it. That can be a renewed spiritual investment. It can be uh, an investment in community service. It can be investment in your family, your children, your grandchildren. Or eventually it may even be, for some people, not everyone, uh, a remarriage and a new love there and, and pushing on with your life in that way as well. I, I, Investing in your work and ministry is another thing, too. I, I know the answer to what I'm about to ask, but how long should these four mile markers take? That's going to vary from person to person. Uh, the most intense period of grief usually lasts six to nine months, and you can you can really accomplish the first three fairly much during those first six to nine months. The the fourth mile marker uh, is going to vary from person to person, and that it may be one year, it may be two. You can grieve uh, actively up to three to five years and not be pathological. And so it may be that uh, that yours will take longer than that. For other people, a year is a good mile marker, uh, a good time to begin to then make those transitions. So shortly after that, I know we're. I see that we're out of time here in a, in a, about two minutes, and so this is probably an unfair question to ask with like a minute and a half to go. Yeah. And we could pick it up after the break. But when you say the first mile marker is believe it happened. Yeah. Um, let, let's let's pick that one up after the break because we're going to okay. run out of time. But believe it happened. I'm thinking, you know, and I haven't again, Mike, there's no way I can identify with what you're saying because I still have my spouse. I've lost people and I find myself, it's been 30 some years with some of those people and I look up on the sidewalk, hey, is that so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is it really Absolutely. hard to believe? I mean, is it hard to believe that it happened? You you find yourself almost feeling like you've dreamed it, like this is not real, that it's going to go away and she's going to reappear. But my job was to bring myself back to reality. I enjoyed what I had with her. I loved her dearly. Forty years were marvelous. It was too short a time. But she's gone. Uh, This side of heaven, I'm not seeing this woman again. And she is gone. And I had to continually remind myself of that. 
because the the tendency is to daydream or to try to stuff it and ignore it and act like it wasn't there or that it wasn't really real. Right. And if you put that aside, you're saying it's going to come to you at some point. It will. Yeah. It will. It will bite you eventually. Grief will catch up. And when it does, it's really, it, you pay a high price. Okay, my guest today, Mike Tucker, we're talking about grief. He's got a new book coming out, 2018, From Tears to Joy, where he relates his experience in losing his wife of 40 years, losing her suddenly. And we're talking today about the process he went through. And maybe you'll find some hope in what you're hearing. I know I did when I read through the book. So uh, stay tight wherever you are. Don't change the station. We'll be back in just a few seconds. Mike Tucker on Disclosure. searching for answers to life's toughest questions? Like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Does my life really matter to God? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Well, if this was a football game, we'd be coming out of the halftime show and we'd be in the third quarter and the Dallas Cowboys would be winning. And that's the dream that I had last night. Uh, My guest on the show today is Mike Tucker, uh, the host of Lifestyle Magazine and Mad About Marriage. And Mike, I know that you don't like Dallas at all. (laughs) I I was a Cowboys fan the first year they played. Uh, We used to get into the Cotton Bowl for $2 a piece back in those days. Are you kidding me? And we could sit any place you wanted to because no one went to the games at first. But uh, (laughs) now you can't do that now. uh, Oh, no. uh, $50 buys you a standing room only spot up on the deck. Yeah. 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 That's right. (laughs) We're talking about... Uh, a horrible episode that you had to face. And I guess most people have to face this at some point. 50% of people in a marriage will have to face this at some point. Mm -hmm. Except yours came early and fast. You lost your wife of 40 years when she was only 60 years old. And it happened in the space of a few weeks. And we've been talking about that a little bit. Um, And I know that in the book that's coming out soon, From Tears to Joy, you discuss the fear that people have that the loved one, the person they've lost, isn't going to be remembered well enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there guilt that you feel after you lose somebody? Like you lose Gail, uh, do you feel some guilt that have I done enough to remember her? Am I honoring her the best? Uh, How come I'm alive and she's not? What kinds of emotions do you wrestle with? All of those things are things that people may may experience. You may experience some of them or or part of them uh, or all of them just depends on how how good of a guilt sponge you happen to be but we all go through some measure of guilt uh, you feel guilty if you if you find joy again uh in some fleeting moment you feel guilty if you don't mention her uh you are you're panicked if you think that people have forgotten 
your loved one and you want them to remember her because she was so significant to you or he was so significant to you, you don't want that person to ever be forgotten. And so you feel guilty if you're a part of that process of, of making it seem that they've been forgotten. Uh, you feel guilty maybe you didn't do enough before they died. Uh, maybe I should have known. I had one woman tell me I, I should have known it was cancer. I said, how many doctors you take him to? Six. How many tests before you, you got it diagnosed? She talked about all that. I said, but, but yet you should have known. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nurse, and I was his wife. I should have known. Well, that's an unrealistic expectation, but it's not unlike what most of us will go through to one degree or another. Prior to Gail's death, I, I asked her if she had any advice for me living without her. And the first thing out of her mouth was no regrets. Wow. And for that, what she meant is she knew that I would do life review, and I'd look back at our life together. And and although we teach marriage and we've had a wonderful marriage, um, I, I was not perfect. And she knew that I would beat myself up over any mistakes that I'd made. And her message to me was there are no regrets because we had a great life t- together. Anything that was wrong, we have both forgiven. It's forgotten. Don't beat yourself up over it. Um, so she anticipated that I would feel guilty about things that I had or had not done, had or had not said, those kinds of things, no regret. Then she, she also said, uh, live our life, which to me meant faith, mm-hmm. family, and ministry, because that's what our life was all about uh, for the 40 years. It was faith, family, and ministry in, in that order. And so she said, if that was a good enough life for us, beforehand. It's a good enough life for you. Don't forget what got us here, what brought us joy. Live our life. And so I've endeavored to do that. Um, but I think that a lot of people feel guilty about going on, about about maybe continuing with a ministry or continuing with a business, that you get to enjoy Christmas now with your family or Thanksgiving, and that individual is no longer there with you. There are a lot of things you can feel guilty over, things you wish you had said or hadn't said, uh, none of that is particularly productive. Uh, none of it is helpful and will complicate your grief experience. And so it is better to find a way to let that go, forgive yourself, receive forgiveness from God, extended forgiveness to the deceased if necessary. Uh, well, let me let me let me push the pause it, button on that thought. Yeah, you're, you're talking yeah. about forgiving the deceased. In what sense yeah. do you do you are you talking about that? If if indeed there were some unresolved issues. If indeed this was a, a relationship where there was some bitterness held, you're not doing yourself any favor by holding on to that. Um, uh, and so if they had done something to hurt you, maybe it's time to let that go. Uh, if you weren't able to do it while they were alive, forgive them after, after they're gone <clears throat> so that you can lay this pain down. You, carrying that burden of, of, of shame and anger and resentment is just too heavy. It will rob you. It will sap you of energies for life. You cannot give and receive love until you let go of that bitterness. And so it's important to to offer forgiveness to the deceased. And you might do this through a prayer or through writing a letter uh, of forgiveness to the deceased. I've had some people attach it to a helium-filled balloon and send it heavenward with some prayer of their own. Others will put it in a God box, a decorated box. They say, this is now God's issue. I give it to him. Wow. Others will actually mail the letter. I've had people <clears throat> mail the letter to me with an instruction on the back that I'm not to open it, and in, in the event of their death, I'm to destroy the letter. But basically, it's their way of letting go of this thing. I forgive you, or I ask you to forgive me. Uh, by sending the letter to someone, it just seems to be a, a value to them. So forgiving the deceased or, or 
imagining them forgiving you is an important thing to do, to let go of that bitterness and to let go of that pain. I think that 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 really strikes me as important. You know, I wake up every day, Mike, with this thought, this girl uh, signed up for life. She mm-hmm. put her life in my hands, yeah. um, and I put my life in her hands too, but will I live today in a way that honors that decision, that she chose yeah. me for the rest of my life? Um, and even while my wife is with me, I wrestle with, was that good enough to honor this girl? And mm-hmm. um, but But what I'm hearing you say is that when your spouse is gone, it seems helpful to find some physical mechanism. You're actually acting out on forgiveness because you can't sit down and have the conversation now. No, no. But doing something physical, um, it it can be a very helpful thing. Talking about this with with a a counselor or a pastor or some trusted friend who would understand the value of this and who can give an opinion. Yeah, you know what? With that story, I can see very easily how they would forgive you. Or uh, you've shared this with me. I think it's time for you to let this go. You need to say the words, I forgive you, to this individual. Write them. Do something with it. Doing something physical with this is is helpful for us because it, it just sends a note of closure uh, and can give people a sense of peace. It, living with that kind of bitterness and pain and resentment and anger, it, it robs you of energies for life. But you even talked about being with your wife now and and feeling guilty. Is this enough to honor her? I fully understand that uh, because I, too, recognize exactly what my wife went through to be married to me, the travel, <laughs> the long the long yep. work, and then just she had to live with me. You yep. know, that, that's bad enough. And but But I realized also that all I can do is what I can do. And she understood what what how much I valued her. And I did what I could do to to demonstrate my love for her uh, while she was alive. It wasn't perfect, believe me. But she knew it because I sent that message to her in every way I knew how to every day. It, not perfectly, but it's important to let that go because she said no regrets. Right. And she understood the message. And she said, no, I made the decision and I'm happy with it. Is there ever a moment, and I, I'm not sure how to ask this question, but is there ever a moment where you actually have to forgive your spouse for leaving you? For, for, for dying. You know, there are some people who find that that's necessary. This is especially necessary, let's say, with a suicide or someone right, who okay. simply didn't take care of their health. Uh, but I've seen other people go through this with a cancer death, especially one man who was starting the dating process, had two women he was trying to decide be, be, between, and was so anguished over it, he said, I'm really mad at my wife for dying, because if she hadn't died, I wouldn't be going through this mess. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing at that. But. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I laughed too when he told me, and he understood my laughter. And so, you know, we were okay with that. But the truth is that, that, yes, there are times that you may be angry with the deceased for dying, even though it especially when it wasn't their choice, you can still be angry with them, and and that's also a part of the whole process. It's okay. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, I want to get to where faith um, really played a role and and offered you hope and and recovery or helped you down the road to recovery. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about navigating the saints. There's an old poem that says, you know, to live with the saints in heaven, that'll be glory to live with them here on earth, that's another story. Mm-hmm. And I have found sometimes when people are hurting that sometimes the saints or your friends or family, maybe out of a sense of awkwardness, they don't know what to say, end up saying the wrong thing. And so I guess mm-hmm. what I want to learn is what do I say? What don't I say? How should I How should I interact with my friend who's hurting? Well, I think the, the problem is that the saints want to fix it for you so that you don't feel bad. 
And so they they offer platitudes that, you know, for some people may be helpful, but for most of us they're meaningless and almost insensitive. Um, people who believe that when you die you go to heaven, well, she's in a better place. You know what? I don't want her in a better place. I want her here. Um, uh, right. God needed another rose for his garden. Well, he's got a lot of roses. Why didn't he leave me with my one little one? You know, those things are not particularly helpful. Um, uh, well, at least she's not suffering now. Well, that's true, but it would be better if she were still alive with me and not suffering, and that's what I want. I think trying to fix it is not healthy and is not helpful. But being empathetic and saying, I, I know you must be hurting. I'm hurting for you as, as best I can, as best I can understand this. Just know I'm thinking and praying for you. Uh, is there something practical I can do for you? That's a better way to do this rather than to try to fix it, because you can't fix it. Right. There's no fixing this. You can't say anything this perfect. Uh, anything is going to make this pain go away. So stop fixing it and just start empathizing with it. And sometimes I tell young pastors who want to know what to do or say when someone dies, and really the best thing to do is to show up and shut up. Right. If you show up, they can't say you weren't there, and if you shut up, you can't say anything really stupid. And <laughs> but as you as you gain some experience in life, you begin to realize there's nothing I can say to fix this. So I'm just going to show going to show my empathy, and anything that shows your empathy, that shows you you understand that uh, although you don't understand the depths of the pain, you understand there is pain, and you want to be there for them. That's the thing that matters. And even telling the stories, you know, your wife was so significant to me. I, I've had people come to talk to me who uh, I've never met, but they met Gail, and they have a story of how an interaction with her changed their life. Those stories are golden to me, absolute gold to me, because someone else remembers her. It celebrates her significance in this life and to that individual. And that, that was so helpful for me just to hear that. You know what I've discovered as a as a pastor, and I haven't actually pastored in a congregation for a number of years, but mm-hmm. um, they don't really remember. People don't really remember what you say unless you yeah. say something stupid. They yeah. don't remember otherwise. <laughs> but they do remember that you showed up. Yes, they do. Now, I, I saw a book that I, uh, I, I bought uh, years ago. It's entitled, Don't Ask for the Dead Man's Golf Clubs. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and it's a, a list of stupid things that people say when someone dies, you know, uh, insensitive things. Oh, no. And, uh, and I, I got a chuckle out of the title. I bought the book for the title alone. And, but the book was actually it was helpful. It had a lot of, uh, of good information there. But I think even just glancing through something like that uh, is helpful if you really want to be of value to someone. Uh, there are a lot of places where people have written uh, things about what not to say, and that's is, that's actually more important than what to say because there's nothing you're going to say is going to fix it no you can't fix it i think that's the hardest thing about death this is the one problem there is no solution there is no real solution unless you have faith and then there is a solution that's offered and we'll come to that after the break i'm talking to mike tucker from tears to joy is his new book coming out 2018 and uh, it's describing his journey through grief after losing his wife of 40 years, how he dealt with it, how he's dealing with it, and the hope that you can have on the other side of grief. This is Sean Booster. You're listening to Disclosure. I'll be back in just a moment. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions? Like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Does my life really matter to God? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? 
the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And we are back for the final segment of the show. I guess if this was a football game, we'd be in the fourth quarter. Um, and it's not the Dallas Cowboys. I am so sorry, Mike, that it's not the Cowboys. I've been faithful to the Cowboys since the 1970s. And, um, and See, that's why I like you, Sean. Yeah, I've been following. <laughs> but there hasn't been a win since the 1990s. And, no, that's true. Yeah. And that's so I've become, I've, actually, I've, I've become convicted that there are probably better ways to use my... <laughs> My sh- short life on earth than to obsess about whether or not the Cowboys are going to win. And I, I agree with you. Yeah, I in agree. the Christian life, and I don't have an issue with sitting down once in a while while catching a game. I don't have very many days off in my life, but um, no. but becoming obsessed by it is not the best use of this one short, brief spot that God has given me in this world. No, in the in the long run, it doesn't really matter. Uh, no, it, it, it's it's fun for entertainment and for yeah. a diversion from time to time, but it doesn't really matter. How dare you say that about yeah, my I cowboys? Know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, I've been a fan longer than you have, so I'm yeah. older than you. So. Yeah, I know. You were actually you're probably around. You probably met some of the Bible characters, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to correct some of the stories that are out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this: We're talking about loss, and I want to get to God, and I want to get to hope, and I want to get to recovery, and we've only got one segment left. But let me start by asking this question. Is it okay to get mad at God? Yeah. God is less concerned with your anger than he is with your pain. Um, Anger with God, if if you want to see people who are angry with God, go to the prophets of the Old Testament. They railed against him at times. Um, Their anger was palpable, and they spouted off, and yet God still loved them and still used them. Uh, I found that in my own experience, there comes a time when it's necessary to actually forgive God. Uh, and again, I know that theologically, I, I don't believe that God ever makes a mistake. But from my own personal experience, I can't see the end from the beginning. I don't know why what he's done is right. But I know that I need a relationship with him. And in or, order to do something with my anger, which I don't want to carry around for the rest of my life, I, I have to just say, all right, I don't understand this, Lord, but I understand you, and I know you, and I love you. And so I choose to forgive you, and I hope that one day, and I know that one day, you will explain this to me. So I'm going to lay this down right now, and I'm going to re-enter into relationship with you and trust that you will make this right to me at some point. I think, I think you raise an important point here. I think in a lot of aspects of life, people expect God to step up to the plate and give all the answers. Explain yeah. this to me. I don't know yeah. that we're capable of understanding everything. How does faith come into recovery? Faith is, uh, is more about a person than it is anything else. There are certain faith statements that people can make to you which, and, and scriptures they can quote which are really not all that helpful. At least they weren't to me. Some people find comfort in, in some of those things and some of those truths about when we will see our loved ones again and that sort of thing. But at that moment, 
it was not particularly helpful for me. What was helpful is knowing that there was one who loved Gail, who loves me, who's going to get me through this one way or, an, uh, or another. Eventually, there came the point when I started looking forward to reunion with Gail. But at the moment, I was so devastated by her loss that those words didn't mean a whole lot to me. What meant something to me was the character of Jesus. I know that he's the one who has loved me all along. He loves me still, and somehow he's going to get me through this. I don't understand what's happened. I don't understand why it's happened. I'm a little bit ticked at him over this, but I'm going to get past that, and I know that eventually all of this is going to make sense to me. Uh, And it may not be until I get to heaven, but eventually it will make sense. So my faith is in a person, not necessarily a belief system or a biblical truth so much. It was in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's what got me through. You know what I find powerful about Jesus? I mean, so many things I find powerful about Jesus, but when Lazarus dies, Jesus stands at the tomb, and I don't get a philosophical treatise on death or hope, or I get Jesus crying. Crying. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I, I agree with you. That brings comfort to me, that he understands the human condition, he understands the experience of loss, and he loved Lazarus, and he wept too. And perhaps he was weeping as much for the disbelief of those around him, but he still understood the significance of losing someone to death. He felt that pain, he felt that sorrow, and he wept. Let's talk about your journey since, um, and if you don't mind, I'll go go where angels fear to tread, but let's talk about remarriage, because that is a part of your story. Um, Early on, did people try and encourage you to remarry early on? What was your reaction? How did you come to that conclusion? How did that happen? Well, early on, I mean, it was three months in, and people were saying, you'll remarry. That was the last thing oh, my I wanted word. to hear. You're kidding. I mean, seriously, six months on, people were giving me names. Um, and I'm thinking, I, I'm not interested in this at this juncture. I don't know if I ever will be. In fact, I, I, I uh, rebelled against that so strongly. At first, I didn't think I'd ever remarry because people were trying to hook me up with people. Uh, and being a public figure as I am and having talked so much about marriage, people know me. And I had women on Twitter and, and Facebook making proposals of marriage that I'd never met. I'd never met oh, these Mike, women. Oh, Mike, are you kidding me? No, I promise you. This, it was shocking. I, have no, I, I had no idea that 64 would be nearly that attractive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, where were these women when I was 19? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was frightening to me. But um, eventually, though, there came a time when I realized that just how alone I really was. Sure. And when the pain started to subside, I realized that I, w- I had a new source of pain. It wasn't just about the loss of Gail, because that pain was starting to ease. It was now about my current condition of having no one with whom to share my life. And that, if you're going to remarry, that's the purpose, is not to make the pain stop. It's to share your life with someone. If you've got something that's worth sharing, then you want to share it with someone. And God was doing amazing things in my life still. I could see his miraculous hand in my ministry, and I didn't have anyone close to me to tell that to. Uh, you know, your children, but they've got their own lives, and they're busy, and they don't really get it. But but uh, having a, a life's partner who would celebrate that with you and, and, and rejoice because they've been praying with you over it and see God move, that's what I wanted again. That's what I wanted again. And by God's grace, I've been able to find that. I, I, I renewed an old uh, friendship, and uh, actually with a Canadian. I know you're yeah. a, a, a Canadian I, by birth. I did notice that. You know, though, I am no longer a Canadian. 
I uh, know that you have your American citizenship. I just got it. I'm so proud. But my wife doesn't have hers, and so I've got this foreign mail order bride. <laughs> that you know, it's not easy. She's trying to learn American English. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's what I have as well because I have remarried a Canadian, a, a wonderful, godly woman who has a music ministry of her own. Her name is Pam. Pam Lister was her, her maiden. Yeah, I've name. actually known her for years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and again, I, I have twice married up. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've gotten women who were far better. They deserve something far better than me. And she is such a wonderful, godly woman who is celebrating God's victories in both of our lives uh, with me. And I'm just I'm so thankful to him. That was a part of my story. It's not for everyone else. Not everyone's right. going to be able to do that, and nor should they. It's but not a prescription, me, it was, isn't it? Is it? No, I, mean, I think some people are probably yeah. encouraged, you need to remarry, and then they do it, and they do it wrongly. Yes, and I've, I've seen that happen over and over and over again. Married too quick, married the wrong person, married to make the pain stop. All of those are bad reasons, uh, bad things to do. But um, I knew that this was – I had to, to really examine the relationship to make sure this wasn't a, a, uh, an escape from pain. Right. It was something in and of itself of value. And I knew it was a value because we, our conversations were about shared ministry, what we could do for Jesus together. Uh, and and celebrating those things with each other. And that began to make a difference for me. All right, I, I feel safe with this. And I think that this is its own thing. I can't replace my wife. Right. But I can find someone else with whom I can share a life and, and uh, work together and share a ministry and do something of significance for Jesus. And that's, that's what I wanted, and that's, by God's grace, what I found. That's actually probably a very important point. I was thinking that as you were speaking, is that this is not—you're not replacing your spouse. No. This no. is something new. It's not a replacement. It's, it's not like, yeah. oh, my coat wore out, I'm going to get a new coat. This no. is something new, a new phase of life. You can't replace an individual. You right. can't, I've, I've had people. Uh, I've heard people say to someone who lost a child, "Well, you can have another child." Oh my Are goodness! You kidding me? What, what an instant! Like you could replace this child by having another, and that will make it all right. You, you can't do that. You can't replace a spouse because they've died. Uh, if you remarry, it has to be because this is its own thing. This is something new, and this is something that will. It, I want to share my life with someone, and I found someone who wanted to share their life with me and uh, to do something of significance for Jesus. And that's what we're doing. Mike, somebody listening maybe has just found out that they're about to lose a spouse. In fact, yeah. I know of two or three families where that's going on right now. Um, what do you say to them? First of all, do everything you can to make sure things are right between you and, and your loved one. Spend as much time with them. You, you won't regret spending time with them now. You will regret later that you didn't. Take the time. Say the I love you. Uh, I love yous. Make things right. Uh, give and receive forgiveness. Re re uh, rejoice in your life together. Tell the stories. Talk together and pray together. Be, be with them now. Be present in the moment. The, the other part of that, though, is allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to cry. Being strong is way overrated. Uh, there's no value to strength at this point. The value is in weakness and in trusting God to get you through it. Wow. Allow yourself to weep and to feel the sorrow, to feel the pain. Imagine yourself without this individual. That's called anticipatory grief. Right. And uh, that can have some value to you in the, long, in the long run. And if you've got a protracted illness where you have time to do that, that can be a value as well. Imagining, planning, all right, how will I handle this? Uh, what, what are my plans for this? 
So make those plans and imagine that, but but don't shut this person out of your life now. Make sure that you spend the time with them now and strengthen those bonds, strengthen that faith, and and don't worry about being strong. Uh, it's not a value. I'm almost hearing, if I'm hearing you right, I'm hearing that take advantage of the fact that you actually, in the early stages, if we're talking about hospice, we're ta- you actually yeah. have a partner in grief to begin with. That's right. Gail was grieving the her potential loss of life and that she wouldn't see her her granddaughter who was about to enter into first grade. She wouldn't see that. Uh, she wouldn't be there to go to the Christmas parties and to the hear the concerts. She wouldn't watch this child graduate from high school or the, the grandson as as well. She wouldn't be around for those things and and she wouldn't be there to continue the ministry with me and to continue our life at love story together. She grieved that, but she also did so with courage and with hope, realizing that, that she'd had joy for this life, and she was thankful for that. But she still grieved those things, and I was grieving the the potential loss of this woman because I just could not envision my life without her. Tried though I might, I couldn't really imagine what that might be like. So it, it, she was grieving, and I was grieving, and we were just holding each other and crying together at times. Um, and then we would talk together and remember the good times and share things. And, and I would ask her for her advice, and, and she wrote letters to our, our children. And I, I, she she uh, dictated, and I transcribed them. I wrote them on the computer, and I gave those to them about six six weeks after her death. Wow. Um, th- those are things that she was able to do to prepare and to, to engage in that grief process as we both began to grieve the loss of our marriage, our ministry, our life together, our love. Mike, I'm watching the clock dip beneath the minute mark, and I wish, I wish we had more time. I am so thankful that you are willing to come on the air and talk about this, because uh, like it or not, this is something we're all probably, at least 50% of us in marriages are probably going to face. And I'm hearing that don't deny the pain, go through the grief, there is hope on the other side, and that God knows what you're going through. Um, He does. And he cares. And he'll carry you through to the other side. Mike Tucker, host of, um, the, oh, I just forgot the name of the show. Lifestyle <laughs> Faith, Magazine. Lifestyle Magazine. I was going to say Faith for Today, which I did to you earlier. <laughs> Lifestyle Magazine, his new book coming out, From Tears to Joy, uh, Mike Tucker's Journey Through Grief. Wherever you are today, know that God sees the pain you're in. He cares, and you're even allowed to get mad at him. He'll carry you through to the other side, and he does offer hope. Thank you so much for joining me, Mike, and uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Until next time, this is Sean Boonstra, and this has been Disclosure. Disclosure.